so that's good. So uh, over the next four weeks, we'll be talking about, um, I think we'll be talking about, <laughs> there's no guarantee, but I think we'll be talking about Pentecost and uh, for the next four weeks, starting today. And uh, four we'll take it through four stages. So I want us to go to Second Kings, Second Kings. Hey, Mia, you want to come up now? <laughs> what? Every time I call, you say no. Come. Mia, come. You and I will sing a song. Second Kings 2, <coughs> and um, let me first go to verse 9, and then we'll trace our way back. Um, and so in verse 9, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours otherwise not. And so when we talk about Pentecost, um, one of the things we desire is more of the Spirit of God. Uh, let's just call it double portion for now. But um, the question is, how do we get to this place where we have more of the Spirit of God when we already have said that we have all of the Spirit of God? How do we get to this place where we have more of the Spirit of God when we have already established from the scriptures that we have all of the Spirit of God. I want to say to you that double portion, hey, okay. Okay, that was not what I was planning to do. <laughs> okay, uh, while I'm talking about that, if someone could fix this and bring this a little lower. Jeevan, you look highly capable, come. Yeah. So I'd like to say that when you talk about double portion, double portion is not about an increase in the quantity of the Spirit. It is an increase in your capacity to contain the Holy Spirit. Down. That's good. Yeah. Double portion is not about an increase in quantity of Spirit. Double portion is an increase in, capa in your capacity to receive Him. A double portion of the Spirit is not an increase in the quantity of the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a person. You can't quantify Him. But a double portion, pursuing a double portion, is an increase in your capacity to contain Him, or your capacity to receive Him. And so the hope is over the next four weeks we can talk about, how do I increase my capacity to receive the fullness of the Spirit? Because Jesus seemed to have accomplished it, so why not me? So double portion is not is not an increase in the quantity of the spirit because he is a person but it is an increase in your capacity to receive him is an increase in your capacity to receive him. Hey, are there any more pens? Because this one's kind of beginning to die. So to 
look at how we can increase in capacity. Let's go from chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. I know you're familiar with this. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were, were on their way from Gilgal. Thanks, man. Were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay there, Eli- stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know what the Lord is going to, that you, the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. So I'd like to suggest to you, and over the next four weeks, explore this um, pattern, that one of the ways we can increase in our capacity to receive a double portion of the Spirit is to go through Gilgal to Jericho to, or is it Bethel? Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. And so today we'll only talk about what this could mean for us. So like in the story of Elijah, always remember guys, uh, sorry, it's Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho. Gilgal, yeah, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. So that's the process. So over the next four weeks, we'll talk about Pentecost, Gilgal, Pentecost, um, Bethel, Pentecost, Jordan, uh, Jericho, and finally Pentecost, um, Jordan. And the intent is, how can I increase in my capacity to receive or contain or walk in the double portion of the Spirit? when we already know that his fullness is present in us. How do we do this? So one of the first principles we need to establish is, like in the story of Elisha, allegiance is the starting point of relationship with the Spirit. Allegiance is the starting point of relationship with the Spirit. Allegiance is the starting point. Allegiance is the starting point. of relationship with the Spirit. It's a word that's rarely used nowadays. Allegiance is the starting point of relationship with the Spirit. Like in the story of Elisha. The reason Elisha received a double portion of what was upon Elijah was because of his allegiance to Elijah. There were others who were raised under Elijah, but they did not have the allegiance that Elisha had with Elijah. And so like in the story, 
Allegiance is the starting point of relationship with the Spirit of Christ. And allegiance confronts, once I say I have an allegiance, it also means that I confront every other, every other competing allegiance. I confront every other competing allegiance. This is why the word allegiance is not used very often now, because we live in a society that compromises, that is pluralistic, that requires uh, so much accommodation and tolerance that allegiance is never singular nowadays. And so allegiance confronts other allegiances, and only after it confronts other allegiances, every competing allegiance, only then can you enter into communion with the one you have allegiance to. So Gilgal is where we will start today, but remember that all of this begins with this idea of allegiance to the Spirit, and in allegiance with the Spirit, I begin to come to this place where I begin to confront every other competing allegiance. Once you do this, love for God or love for the Holy Spirit, love will fuel allegiance. Once you decide this, once you decide this, love will fuel allegiance. And once love begins to, begins to fuel allegiance, it will prioritize things. So when Don gets married or when Manoj gets married, the first thing that is required is the words they speak when they say, I do. It is not as if they can back that up with or, uh, anything but words. And they're saying, I pledge allegiance to you. I betroth myself to you. So that is the pledge. That pledge is then fueled by love. And once it's fueled by love, what happens is priorities change. Everything is prioritized differently once allegiance happens. But first comes the words that pledge allegiance. Then comes the love that fuels that allegiance. And then comes priorities that prove that allegiance. Words that pledge allegiance. And words must be honest to the extent you can from your heart and you pledge allegiance. Love then begins to fuel that allegiance. And then priorities that you have thereafter proves that allegiance. It's the same with Elijah and Elisha. He uses these words in Second Kings 2.4 and the words are, as long as the, Lord, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Words, pledge. Then love fuels it. As in, I won't. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to. I'm going to cross the Jordan. I'm going to come to Jericho. I'm going to come to Jordan. Uh, Bethel. I am not. Love fuels it and then prioritizes it. All the others had the same thing going for them, but they did not go down this route. 51 of them waited on one side. 50 of them waited on one side. This is what increases capacity, guys. So it doesn't matter whether you want to receive from the Lord or receive from a person or receive from an institution or receive from a corporation. It doesn't matter. This is how it works. If I want to receive from you, if I want to receive from the church, if I want to receive from a corporation, if I want to receive from Elon Musk, if I want to receive from Jesus Christ, if I want to receive from the Holy Spirit, the principle is the same. No other method is able to cut through hard granite rock 
and create a channel that allows this to happen. I was reading a summary of a book written by a guy who saw how they built the Panama Canal and the amount of work that was involved in building a canal that cuts through and shortens the journey and builds these uh, docks that raises water, lowers it. And you read it and you think to myself, my God, this was a lot of work, but someone had the audacity to even attempt it. Uh, this, is, this cuts through so much granite that you get to the heart of God much faster. Any questions? Never hesitate to offer words as long as you can put some honesty or sincerity behind it. We hesitate to offer words because we think we will not be able to sustain it. You will not be able to sustain it. You're absolutely right. But the best you can offer is words. You think every time you say or you have said, I do, you thought you were going to sustain it? Foolish are you if you thought when you stood there and says, to all those things the pastor reads out in a hurry and you say, I do. If you thought you were going to be able to um, fulfill that, I would warn her in advance that this guy is incapable of doing this. But words are the best we offer because it comes from a heart of sincerity. Uh, words are what I wanted to do now in this one minute. And then in the next minute I will offer it again. And in the third minute I offer it again. Allegiance is always pledged with words. It is fueled by love. It is proven by priorities. Any questions? This increases capacity. Eh? It is never a question of God grudging to give what he wants to give. It is a question of can I receive what he wants to give. Yeah, every day. Every day. And our capacity keeps increasing. Yeah. Every day. A woman cannot imagine what she'll be nine months down the line. It's impossible to imagine that when she's pregnant. But every day she increases. But when you look at a Phoebe or a Mia and think to yourself, my God, this was in someone's body, you think to yourself, impossible. And yet, every day, and it happens a million times every day in different parts of the world. It is the increase in capacity that allows you to partake of double portions. It is not an increase in the quantity of the Spirit. So focus on increasing capacity. Any questions, guys? Yeah, allegiance is pledged with words. Allegiance is fueled by love. Allegiance is proven by priorities or actions. So I can pledge my allegiance to you because I'm sincere. But it is love for you that will fuel it, as in I can keep it up tomorrow, day after. But it is, there's a stage after that where my priorities have to show that, yeah, my allegiance to you matters. Okay, so the first place that Elijah and Elisha went to was Gilgal. 
And Gilgal, uh, you find it in Joshua 4, verse 19 and 20. Joshua 4, 19 and 20. Joshua 4. See, you don't have the problem of turning pages. Joshua 4, 19 and 20. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their father, What do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. So the first thing we know about Gilgal is that it was a reminder, it was a generational reminder It is a generational reminder of the power of God. It was a generational reminder of the power of God. And this stood for 2,000, 3,000 years till something else replaced the Red Sea crossing and the Jordan crossing. And what replaced it was the Spirit of God raising up Christ. Till Christ rose, the one thing that Yahweh was known for was the Red Sea crossing. Deliverance of a people by a sea opening and people crossing through. That was the ultimate, like if you think of, um, if you think of uh, some guy's accomplishment, you always take the biggest accomplishment. Oh, by the way, the smallest uh, building in Toronto is the Toronto Hall of Fame. Uh, But if you think of someone, (laughs) if you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Stop it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so when you think of someone and you think of their accomplishment, you take the height of their accomplishment, and that's what they're always known for. So if you take uh, um, Edmund Hillary, it is climbing Mount Everest. If you uh, take um, the Oilers, it is winning the cup for years on end. If you take the number of runs in cricket, it's a guy called Don Bradman. Um, so there are these specific things that you uh, um, connect with the greatest achievements. And when it comes to the Bible, Yahweh was always known for one thing, and that was the Red Sea crossing. And then it was reenacted again when Jordan was opened the same way. Only in the case of Jordan, there was no enemy army chasing. So this was the ultimate uh, achievement. And then in the New, that is in the Old Testament. And that stayed till one day in the New Testament, a dead man rose. And that was Christ. And so now, the one thing that um, God is known for is the Spirit of God raising up Christ. To see how impossible it is, you should pick up a dead fly, which will soon come into your house in summer. You should put a dead fly on the ground and try raising it up from the dead. You should shout at it. You should. Uh, I would suggest mouth-to-mouth doesn't work because it will go into your mouth. So uh, you can try everything with that fly. Try raising up that fly. It blooming will not live. 
I've tried this. I've tried raising a fly. Not because I wanted to raise a fly, but because it shows you the absolute deadness of a small insect. You can do nothing to it. There's nothing you can do. Dead is so dead. I, I, I remember trying to raise my father. He was so dead that it doesn't matter how many times you tell him to rise, nothing would happen. But Christ rose from the dead. And then you have people rising from the dead. <laughs> like our friend there. That is a miracle. But Christ was the first man who rose from the dead. After being in the grave for three days. Rise, rose from the dead not to die again. That is the beauty of this. Lazarus will die again. Marcus will die again. Jesus does not. It's a new standard. And so Gilgal is a place where God sets up a generational reminder of the power of God. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the new standard for power is the Holy Spirit. He was the one who raised Jesus from the dead. It says so in Romans 8. If the Spirit of Christ, if the Spirit of Christ that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, then in the same way that he raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you also. So Gilgal is a place where there's a generational reminder of the power of God. One of the things this church talks a lot about but does not match in its walk is the power of God on constant display. But the day will come and it will happen. And the day is not far away. The day is not far away. I won't be limited to a couple of guys going to Perth or Sydney or London or Dublin. I'm talking about a common thing. One of the common things in this church is hearing. Everybody seems to be able to hear. One of the common things in this church is the ability to um, worship without much problems. You don't need drums, you don't need nothing, you can worship. One of the common things in this church is understanding how the body works. In the same way, one of the common things that will surely happen in this church is the power of God on display, very naturally, through its people. The day is coming. It hasn't come yet. We are more talk than walk. But it is very, very close. It's like a balloon that's waiting to burst. Another few drops and it'll burst. That's how close we are. It's a very thin filament that separates, separates us from that place. The youth met at my house, my apartment, on Friday, and I don't know why, but they left about 60 balloons all over the place. My neighbors thought there was a machine gun firing in the morning. <laughs> I was on my knees. <laughs> but we are very close to this, to this um, very natural display of power. It won't be a conference. It won't be a big thing. It will become a natural part of us. I assure you of this. I assure you of this just based on the way God is going to do stuff. It's going to be a very natural part of our lives. That's what I love about this church. Eh? Most of the things that people write books about happens here quite naturally. So Gilgal was a generational reminder of the power of God. And uh, w the reason I talked about this church breaking into it is because this church has to now perpetually through generations produce a group of people that will know that the power of God is a very natural thing. 
We cannot be named Acts 29 and not step into it. The second thing Gilgal was, if you go to um, Joshua 5, verse 20, Joshua 5, 20, Well, not 520, Joshua 5, um, verse 1 to 8. 1 to 8. Well, let's start at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, had died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert for 40 years until all the men of military age, when they had left Egypt, had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. Um, Verse 7, so he raised up sons in their places, and these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Verse 9, and then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of the land. So the second thing Gilgal does is it is a place where a sign of ownership is entered into. And it is a place where shame, reproach, old conditions, and mindsets are rolled away by God. Gilgal is a place, first we said, which is a generational reminder of the power of God. Gilgal is also a place where a sign of divine ownership is established. Why? Uh, where else do we see this? We see this in Genesis 17, where God says to Abraham, Hey, Abraham, I want you to circumcise every male, be it a, s- a servant, be it a son. Every male in your group has to be circumcised. It's a sign of a covenant that I now I'm your Lord. And in the same way in uh, Joshua 5, we see sign of ownership being uh, established where it is literally saying, you are mine now, Israel. Your fathers and mothers died, they did not obey. As you start afresh, I want to establish a sign of ownership. I want to stamp you with a sign of ownership. And secondly, in stamping you with a sign of ownership, I want to take away your shame, your reproach, your psyche, your old condition, and your mindsets. I want to roll it away. And so he actually names the place Gilgal because Gilgal means to roll away. Once we understand that a sign of ownership is necessary, we'll have to start competing with other ownerships in our life. We'll have to start competing or dismantling or breaking away 
or cutting off other ownership in our life and we'll just talk about five such areas and then end and why are we talking about this because if we can navigate through Gilgal we increase our capacity to receive a double portion the great thing about double portion is next year I can receive a double of the double that I have I just keep increasing any questions before we go on if anything is unclear please ask The Bible has always had signs of ownership, eh? Yeah, there was one point where a slave, if he was set free, would take his ear and nail it to the doorpost. Other signs of ownership was when a priest would be consecrated, they would take the blood of the bull or goat and put it on the ear, on the toe, and on the hands, on the thumb. Um, in uh, Jewish um, belief, uh, circumcision was a sign of ownership. So signs of ownership have al al always existed. And once you were branded thus, it meant that nobody else owned you. And if allegiance is a matter of being faithful in service to an owner, and if allegiance is what causes double portion, then great, let me step into it. I would need more of the Holy Spirit. For where we are going, we all need it. It changes us, eh? The power of the Holy Spirit is not just for people to get healed. The power of the Holy Spirit is so that I change. Boy, do I need change. So, here are some things that you have to be aware of so you can break out or cut away the ownership or the mastery of these usurpers in your life so that you legitimately are owned by only one. So one of the things that I must break away from <coughs> is things of my former life. Things of my former life. All of us still struggle with sins, habits from our former life, as in our life before we got born again. In Ephesians 4.22, it says that putting away my old self and being renewed in the likeness and the image of God. I may be wrong, but I don't think there's anybody in this room who does not struggle with sins and habits from a former life. And by struggle, I mean for some of us, the struggle is so intense that we succumb to it. For some of us, the struggle still exists, so we have to walk circumspectly. For some of us, in some areas, we don't even have to struggle because we escape the gravitational pull of sins and habits from our former life. But that is one of the things we have to get rid of. Ephesians 4.22 talks about it. Ephesians 4.22. In doing this, I suddenly increase in capacity, yeah? because there's, when I'm emptied of the things of my former life, there is more space. One of the ways you can measure your purity and your intimacy with God is your desire for holiness. A desire for holiness, a desire, and the operative word here is desire, a desire for holiness is a measure of your intimacy and purity. A desire for holiness. How, how, uh, it's such a, such a, such a litmus, eh? Because it's one thing to be holy because you're a Christian. It's one thing to be holy because you're active in ministry. But a desire for holiness, a, 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 a yearning that uh, it is important for me to be holy, to be set apart. 
Holiness matters to me. It is critical to my life. It, 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 I, 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 I'm not a complete person if the desire for holiness is missing. A desire for holiness is a measure of my intimacy and my purity. When the desire is absent, immediately begin questioning life. Eh? When the desire is absent, purity and intimacy will begin to unravel. Just keep that in mind. So the first one is your former life. Things that you struggle with in your former life. The next one, I didn't know what to call it. I, wanted, I didn't know whether to call it my human life or my soul life. So I'll call it both. These are usurpers who try to exert mastery over my life. And it lessens my capacity to receive the Holy Spirit. When I say human or soul, I mean my intellect, my emotions, my politics, my environment, not my environment, my, my intellect, my emotions, my, cult my politics, my culture. These begin to these begin to um, just uh, diminish my capacity to receive the Holy Spirit. And these are often hijacked. These are often hijacked to delay, divert, or deceive. me and, and brings me to a place of diminishing. It diminishes my ability to receive the Holy Spirit. It diminishes my ability to receive more of the Spirit of God who already lives within me. I was checking on some scriptures on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy who, uh, please, please remember, as much as I love the movie Chosen and the series, chosen is a narrative that is built out of scripture. It is not scripture. So when we see Nicodemus in the chosen um, thing, it's very easy to think of Nicodemus as such a wonderful guy. And he may have been that. But Nicodemus struggled with this. In John chapter 3, you find him approaching Jesus at night. Why? Because Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees and it was not possible for him to come out in the open because he was scared of what his people would say if he was found associating with Jesus. So in John chapter 3, you hear him coming at night and having that conversation with Jesus. And then again, in John chapter 19, verse 39, he's coming again at night. This time he's coming with 100 pounds of spices. Why? Because he wants to put those spices on Jesus' body and bury him. And he still does not want to be out in the open. Our intellect, our emotions, our culture, our alliances, our political thinking. Uh, you have no idea how powerful political thinking is, especially in the United States. It is crippling the work of the Holy Spirit. The thing behind politics, guys, is not ideology, it is money. And yet politics is super important to Christ because Christ is about a king and a nation. And politics is also about power and cities and nations. It is important to him. Well, that's not for today. Nicodemus was a guy who struggled with this. Mary and her sons, Mary, his mother, and her sons. When you read Mark chapter 3, verse 20, you see Mary and her sons discussing 
that Jesus is out of his mind or that he's crazy. We need to do something about it. Emotions took over. And then after discussing that in verse 31, Mary and her sons actually go and stand outside the place Jesus is preaching and says, ask him to come and meet us. And that is when Jesus has to take the kind of unnatural step as a son of saying, who is my mother and who is my brother? But they that follow my will. Why are we talking about that? Because we don't realize how much our emotional and intellectual makeup affects the work of the Spirit in our lives. We don't realize this. We think it is natural. It is not natural. Some things are natural. Some things need to be changed. We can't change it all at a time, so I go and ask the Holy Spirit. So in this area, I seem to be struggling when it comes to emotions. I can be on an up or a down, or I can be um, lashing out or holding back, or I can be afraid, or I can be too abrasive. So in this area, could you help me? Because there's a certain reaction that keeps coming out. Culture. You think your culture doesn't affect you? You think being Indian doesn't come with its baggage? There is an attempt nowadays to redeem things from culture. It is important that you redeem things from culture, but first get rid of the garbage. If you can't get rid of the garbage, you won't be able to see the treasure. Try to find a gold ring in one of those big um, thingies. Oh, it was so funny. When I used to stay in the old building, I was tossing garbage and my keys went down the chute also. It's the only keys I have. And so now, five minutes later, I'm in that huge thing. It was so hard to find my key. And you know my biggest fear? Someone else sending garbage down. <laughs> so my prayer was not, Father, let me find the key. My prayer was, Father, while I'm finding the key, let no one throw garbage down because God knows what's coming down that chute. And I searched and searched and searched and couldn't find and nobody threw garbage down. What had happened was I threw the garbage down with such force that the key missed the whole bin and went out. That is the first time I had to have a shower because I handled my keys. And uh, so it's very hard to first get rid of some of this garbage that collects in my life because of my intellectual, emotional, political, and cultural beliefs and systems before you go looking for the treasure. Jesus can find treasure in trash. You're not like that. You can be like that one day. Athens. If you read Acts 17, you see what culture did to Athens. When you read Acts chapter 17, verse 10 to 16, you see that uh, th their favorite thing was to have discussions about resurrection, about new life, about this, about that. But they would not believe anything. To the point that Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians 1 that the Jews look for a sign and the Greeks look for knowledge. Cultures come with baggage. Your culture comes with baggage. It prevents the Spirit of God from doing the work of God. We must attempt to get rid of it by asking the Spirit of God to show things in my culture that prevent me from behaving a certain way. Why are we doing this? So that we can increase in our capacity. Okay, moving on. The third thing we have to deal with is our personality. Our personality. This is a huge one, eh? 
Jesus, I don't know whether he knew it or not, but one of the things Jesus does in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, is he calls John and James the sons of Bonad, Boanarges. I don't know how to pronounce it. Basically, it means sons of thunder. He names them that because he knew what they could be in terms of their personality. And then you find in Mark chapter Luke 9, verse 54, John and James are so upset that the Samaritans are not receiving Jesus that their response is, hey, Jesus, if you want, we can do you a favor. We can just call down some fire and frizzle all these guys out. <laughs> that, is, that is a reaction. I remember one guy saying to me, Jacob, if you want to call down fire from heaven, make sure you're wearing an asbestos suit. Meaning, if you call down fire, you'll get burned too, so be careful. And Jesus turns to them and he says, you are not of the same spirit. Your emotions and my, sorry, your personality and my personality is a certain type. I mean, if I stood next to Matt, you would know our personalities are different, right? Matt is a gentle soul. I'm a gentle soul. See, you laugh at it as if it's a joke. It's that bad. <laughs> the point is, our personalities are not all God. I want to say this in an all humility and with um, much respect and uh, gra gratitude. In most churches, a lot of things that I do would not have been tolerated by the church, but you have. You have. And so, I for a moment, I'm not under a delusion that my personality is Christ's personality. It's not. It, it, it can rub you wrong. It can sometimes um, be a barb that pokes you. But thank God that there are some good parts that prevents you from leaving. But our personalities need to change. As my personality changes, then I become more, uh, I, bec I, I increase in capacity to receive more of the Spirit of God. At the end of the day, Jesus, it is the same Jesus who was gentle with the tax collector and the prostitute who did take a whip off and started chasing the money lenders out. So it's not a personality type. It is that my personality does get in the way and yours does too. I pray God that you admit it. Some of our personalities are shaped by our background and our environment. But then we have the Holy Spirit, right? These are ways to increase. Personality is distorted by experience and background. One of the classic examples is Gideon. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's afraid. He's speaking what has happened to him. Can God be trusted? He has not been around. We have been messed around with, beaten up so many times that I do not even trust when you call me mighty warrior. I'm the least of the tribe of Benjamin. My family is not of much value. This is what he's saying to an angel of God. To begin with, when an angel appears, you straighten up. But this guy cannot straighten up because his personality is so deeply affected by his environment and background. But then there is the Spirit of God that changes Gideon. And God allows time for you to change. Gideon did not go pull down the Baal statues or idols in the daytime. He did it during night. When he was told to go do it openly, he did it quietly. God is okay with that because as the personality is changing, you are improving. But my God, if I don't make an attempt to change it, then you will have to live 
with Christ plus something. It affects our responses. It installs triggers in our life. I must change in this man. The next one. Theology. All of these things come, we come with and if it doesn't change, it becomes a problem. Theology. Acts chapter 10, verse 9 to 17. Here is a man who is arguing with God, saying, I will not eat these creepy crawlies that you are lowering in a sheet because I'm a good Jew. And I want you to know, Yahweh, that there is no way I'm going into a Gentile's house. Cornelius has sent people. They're waiting outside to take Peter. It's going to be the moment when the earth is changed, where finally the Gentiles are participating with the Jews in the grace of God poured out through Christ. And three times, God had to lower that sheet with creepy crawlies in it. He didn't do it three times to confirm what he was trying to say to uh, Peter. He had to lower it three times because Peter was not willing to change his theology. He's arguing with Yahweh, the one who gave the laws in Leviticus, about what is kosher and what is not kosher. We have our own theologies too. And if Acts 29 doesn't change, if I don't change, if you don't change, we'll have the same problem. Third time, finally, he, gets, he comes to his senses. God had to do it three times because he did not listen the first time. Had he listened the first time, it would have been done with. What is your theology on things? Does it match up with the nature of God? So important. Adorn the doctrine of God by adorning the nature of God. Adorn the doctrine of God by adorning the nature of God. You don't adorn the doctrine of God by adorning the Greek and the Hebrew. I was saying to Tuni a few days ago, you don't have to be educated to be a good dad. We think education means something. It doesn't. You can have illiterate dads that are splendid fathers. And you can have highly literate dads with doctor and a few letters after the name that are crappy fathers. Adorn the doctrine of God based on the... Uh, adorn the doctrine of God by adorning the nature of God. Meaning, my theology should change based on my increasing knowledge of the nature of God. My theology must change based on the increasing nature of the knowledge of God. Increasing knowledge of the nature of God. If it doesn't and you're holding on to something from the past, then you will not be able to participate in the greatest move amongst the Gentiles that happened in Acts chapter 10. You will be Peter the Great who did not make it. Change your theology. All of us have pet theologies. One of the questions I often ask uh, when things... You know when theology gets really difficult? When what we believe in is not working. When what we believe is working, it's great, it's easy to believe. But when we, what we believe is not working, that is when we come up with stuff. Because we want to, we want to somehow fit. Be careful of that. That is not how this works. By name, if I don't get healed, or I don't get delivered, or I don't get um, um, what I need, or I don't understand this, or I don't understand that, I can't now take it and shape it so that I can fit in it. 
That's creating Michelangelo's. That, that's, create, that's painting God as a human with a beard and slightly old. Sistine Chapel. God looks like man, slightly older. We can't do that. When theology doesn't work, then I have to go and find out, God, what is your nature? I don't understand why things are not happening, but I've got to look at your nature. How do I look at his nature? I look at his nature by looking at the visible image of the one who represented his nature. And there I begin to start the process of, I do not understand it, it is not working, but I see it working in this man's life. Who is your son? The brilliant radiance and visible image of you, the invisible God. He I will trust, me I will not, for, for let God be true and every man a liar. Start there. That is your fundamental place of starting. Let God be true and every man a liar. There would be fewer books in the world if you could stick with this. That's where we start from. And then we build from there. Don't know what your previous background is. Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Pentecostal, Protestant, Catholic. Pack it away. Come out of the tomb. Let them go and find it neatly wrapped and kept away. You didn't even take it with you. Let them build a shrine around it and call it the Shroud of Turin. But you leave it. Come out of the tomb. Did you come from an Orthodox church, a Pentecostal church? They both have enough rituals there that, that can drown you. Put them away. Fold them. You move on. One of the things that Romans chapter 7 says, and this is critical, Romans chapter 7 says that as long as a man is married to a woman, he cannot marry another because if he, is, he talks about the woman, as long as a woman is married to a man, Romans chapter one, 7 verse 1 onwards, as long as a woman is married to a man, she cannot marry another because if she marries another, she is an adulteress. But if the man dies, then she is free to marry another. You would think he's talking about marriage. He's not talking about marriage. He's saying, if you belong to Christ and if you want to marry Christ, you will have to <laughs> have what you were married to before dead so that you can join yourself to Christ, your bridegroom. You cannot be in one system and marry another system. That is adultery. Last one. Spiritual caliber, as in we, when we do well, we've got to be careful that that doesn't become something that limits the capacity that I have to handle the spirit. Spiritual caliber. Um, sometimes uh, it is possible to be doing so well at Acts 29 or in your own individual lives or use our church as a model for others to copy and all that stuff that the Spirit of God is not able to do anything more because we are so full of what the Spirit of God has been doing. One of the cool things that happens at Gilgal is that they gather around the only calibration that we follow and that is the Passover lamb. They gather around to eat the Passover meal again. They had eaten it long ago in Jerusalem. These are, this is a new breed, a new bunch of guys who don't know their fathers and mothers who disobeyed. And they gathered together to eat the Passover lamb. What they don't know is that as soon as they finish eating the Passover lamb, manna is going to stop. These kids had only grown up on manna. And the moment they eat it, the next morning they go out and they squat. There's nothing. There's nothing lying on the ground. Must have been like 
crazy. It's like kids who were born during COVID. They can't understand why people don't have that white thing over their faces anymore. Mama, alien. Masks are off. Most kids think it, that's how you're born. And so there are these 40 year olds. There are these 40, they'll make a movie about this, you just watch. There are these 40 year olds who have known nothing else but mana burgers, mana dosas, masala manas. That's all they've known. Quail wrapped up with masala in mana. Mana burgers. Beyond mana burgers. That's the worst. Put vegetables in it and give it to you and call it beyond manna. And so this is what they were accustomed to. And then they have Passover meal and suddenly it's all over. Eh? And so the only constant with the Holy Spirit is change. The only constant with the Holy Spirit is change. The only constant with the Holy Spirit is change. And that is something God has done brilliantly in this church where change is not something you're averse to or if you're averse to it, you are not showing it anymore. <laughs> but change is the only constant. It's authored by, fueled by, and sustained by the Holy Spirit. And it's the only constant. And just remember that, that sometimes our spiritual caliber can limit the capacity of the Spirit. Next time we'll do Bethel. Um, I would suggest that you go home and look at this. A great advantage of teaching is I look at it before I come and then look at it after we are done. You have to try and look at it after you hear it. What is it in your former life that you can ask the Holy Spirit to break away or cut out and let him help you? If it happens instantly, blessed are you. Some of us have had to struggle with it. What about your intellectual, emotional, cultural baggage that is delaying, diverting, or deceiving you? If it could happen to Nicodemus, Jesus' mother and brothers, Peter, then it can happen to you. What about your personality, which has been distorted by experience and background, where you speak like Gideon, where there's an instant trigger or a response that affects everything you do, so much so that Jesus has to turn around and say, Jacob, you're not of my spirit. What about your theology? What are you holding on to? What have you shaped to match your circumstances? And finally, are you so full of what the Holy Spirit was doing two months ago that you do not allow the Holy Spirit any room to continue doing what he really wants to do? This is what the act of yielding looks like, guys. And so I want to end with a sign of divine ownership that we can practice. And uh, I left this out for the end. The sign of divine ownership that we can practice is communion. That is the sign of divine ownership. So let's just partake in communion and then we can go. Wow, not bad. 101 with all those reports. I'll be here as far as I know, God willing, uh, for the next four Sundays. My trips will be in between uh, the week to places like New York or Los Angeles or Vernon. So if you need to get in touch with me, feel free.
Uh, guys, uh, pray about what we need to do. Um, not pray about. Begin to, begin to try and talk to, have conversations with God about what we need to do with this building because our lease expires in a month. And uh, don't know what to do next, whether to continue here, whether there's some other place waiting for us, whether I should approach the owners or not, I don't know. So uh, we'll just keep it for a second, and then I'll give it to you. Yeah. So um, just begin asking, having conversations with God about it, and let's see what happens. Because... Uh, I don't think the owner has realized that there are no checks in July. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dilna, if you want to buy this place, feel free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Don, so after you're married, you'll have a reception in Vancouver also? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Derek, you escaped, huh? You had a super small marriage of <laughs> Yeah, I think that would be better. I think you should both do it together. Yeah. Because he escaped doing a big wedding in Kerala. He used COVID as an excuse, invited twenty people, out of which eighteen was family. And uh, then he didn't have a reception when he came back here either. I have a feeling these guys will go cheaper on us and just combine. They'll get m in the end, there'll be four people having one reception. <laughs> yeah. Come, guys, what are you? Yeah. Oh, you're bringing the same. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a cup. No, no, you, you, can, you can wait. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted... I just wanted the cup and the cup. Yeah. So, uh, uh, guys, uh, I just want us to remember that this, uh, this, uh, today when we are partaking of this, we are saying this is a sign of divine ownership. And so um, one of the things that I know you've heard before is this idea of uh, the bride listening in as the bridegroom would come and offer the father the terms of betrothal. And it would be that he would provide for us, that he would bring us gifts, that uh, he would go uh, get a bride price, which was called a mohar, which uh, would be paid so that uh, it was a dowry of sorts, but it would be paid by the bridegroom. And then uh, he would come to get her and take her to the house that he had built. And I've heard, and, um, and so I'll go with what I've heard. Uh, the bride would listen to it, and there would be two cups kept there, and if the bride agreed to the uh, price and to everything that was suggested during betrothal, she would take the cup, she would drink it, and she'd turn it upside down, saying that I've, uh, uh, I commit to this betrothal. And the betrothal was, I only have eyes for you. I am yours now and nobody else's. It was a sign of divine ownership. So at the risk of even dirtying some of the chairs that we sit on, um, or maybe your palm. 
let's do that. Eh? Let's eat of this bread and drink of this cup and pledge our allegiance with words, in your own words to the Lord, saying, this is my small sign of ownership that I want to enter into. Own me. You already own me. I'm just acknowledging it. It's not even own me. It is you have paid the price. I am yours. First Corinthians 6, so beautiful. Do you not know that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, now you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, let me just read that scripture. First Corinthians. Six. Towards the end. Yeah. Let me start from verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. The sexually immoral, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Don't worry about understanding that right now. Um, understand 6.17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And now go to verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So we are already owned, but this is just a sign saying, I love my ownership. Thank you. Yeah? So guys, if you want to come and distribute. Father, um, can I just skip uh, the on the day that you were betrayed and go this route today? Okay. Let's take it. And uh, the cup too. And then once we do, just do that symbolic act and we'll be done.